30th, and I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded our 11th episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes Program, the weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by fellow crops educators Jared Goplin and Anthony Hansen. On the webinar were guests Ian McRae, an entomologist with the University of Minnesota based in Crookston, Minnesota, Bruce Potter, an IPM specialist at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center in Lamberton. The guests and moderators discussed how the crop season is progressing and answered questions related to crop and pest management. In particular, they discussed the hot and dry conditions and the potential for insect problems to develop in managing insect problems when and where they occur. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on the current crop situation as well as crop and pest management topics. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's Strategic Farming Field Notes program, a program from the University of Minnesota Extension. Uh, we're happy you guys have joined us today to talk a little bit about insect issues. And before I hand it over to Anthony to introduce our guests, uh, there's a number of different things we're hoping to touch on today. Of course, some of the dry conditions are uh, sor- certainly going to cause uh, some of our insect issues to change. Uh, maybe some more grasshoppers, uh, spider mites, those types of things. Uh, and in the midst of that, of course, there are some regulatory uh, things that uh, chlorpyrifos are going through. So we'll touch on some of those and uh, any of your other questions, feel free to type them into the, the box. So with that, Anthony, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Jared. And yeah, as uh, you talked about these dry conditions, we're looking at more what might be happening in our pest complexes, especially the insects right now. It's kind of getting to be about that time of year that issues are going to start brewing up a little bit. So we thought it was pretty timely to get some folks on to talk about that a little bit. So first we have Dr. Ian McRae. He's out of the University of Minnesota Crookston based up there. He's in the Department of Entomology based out of the St. Paul campus as well. So he has a few different affiliations. And then we also have Bruce Potter, IPM specialist based out of Lamberton, Minnesota. So thanks for both of you being on here. And Ian, I think we'll start off with you asking, what are you seeing in your neck of the woods in terms of insect pressure or what are your concerns that are starting to pop up with these dry conditions? Well, certainly there's been grasshoppers in a number of crops. We're getting calls on that. Uh, aphids haven't really started heavily yet, but I anticipate they will be. They're going to start moving pretty soon. Our, our grain is maturing early, and so usually we see movement of the cereal aphids out of grain into, into some other crops. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of soybean aphids yet. Uh, we didn't have a lot of snow cover, so I anticipate probably didn't overwinter up here that well. But, you know, when we're up here in the Northwest, oftentimes we get infested whether we have successful overwintering or not, because those, you know, those movements from the southerly areas that made it, will give us uh, aphids. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, we're starting to see spider mites in a couple of places, especially over across uh, the river into North Dakota and some of the areas down kind of south of Crookston where it's dry. We're starting to see spider mites start up. And I guess, you know, there's there's a number of different reasons for a lot of these different pests that are typically problems in, in uh, dry conditions. Grasshoppers and aphids, a lot of the time it's because we've had, well, when you have dry conditions, you, you really don't have good conditions that'll keep fungus going. And a lot of those species are kept in check with uh, animal path, what we call animal pathogenic fungi. Basically they're, they're fun, fungi that cause insect diseases. And so those keep a lot of aphid and grasshopper populations in check most years, which is why if you have a dry 
fall, you know, dry spring and it gets warm, that's not good fungus conditions. And so they, those mortality factors don't actually start to build up and we just don't see the control. With spider mites, it's a different situation. With spider mites, they, they like it a little dry. They like it, what it really is, is the heat. They like, they like the heat and it increases their, their reproductive potential and they start to spread. And they're in the, the air, you know, they're in the, the verges of the field, the margins of the field all the time anyway. It's just when their populations start to grow, you start seeing them concentrating on the edge or in the corners. And their populations will grow and then they start moving into the cropping system. And that's kind of where we are right now. A lot of places are still very dry. We've had a little bit of rain, but not a lot. And what we have had has been kind of restricted in areas. It's, it's very spotty. Ian, Ian I guess uh, I got a I got a quick question. You know, with the grasshoppers, sure. I know I have heard of some small grains. You know, reaching that treatment threshold. Yeah. I'm curious what you know. Obviously, this is pretty variable depending on how much rainfall folks have had. But you know, how do we manage some? You know, I almost hate to bring it up already. How do we manage these pest populations when the yield potential is low in some areas? So you know, if we do have a, a small grain crop, for instance, withering up in the valley, that you know, how do we how do we make any treatment decisions? Yeah, it, you know, that's a real toughie. Um, I always, I always tell people when they say, you know, what, what are the insect problems going to be this, this year? I always say, well, you tell me what the weather's going to be and I'll tell you what insects we're going to have. And that, that's kind of the situation that you have to kind of, you know, it's, it's a tough call. You don't know what rain you're going to get in the next two weeks. I mean, you know, our weather forecasting is pretty good three days out and every day after that, it decreases pretty significantly. So even a week away, you're really you know, they said so there's a 20% chance of rain. That really doesn't mean that much if they're forecasting it next Thursday, you know, a week from tomorrow. So yeah, th those are really hard decisions to make. And the best you can do is kind of look at what, you know, yield estimates you have in the field right now and start to consider what kind of loss that those numbers are going to give you. But like you said, it's a tough decision to make. Um, most of the time you kind of have to manage for the conditions that are and the conditions you can, you know, kind of expect in the near future, I guess. So, Ian, I know we've had uh, some of our crop scouts, they're funded both by the small grains and soybean uh, growers associations. They've been out kind of in Western Minnesota around Morris all the way up to Crookston. And there are some reports of aphids coming out for the small grains too, like you mentioned. I know um, he mentioned that it looked like just visually, he said, looks like a heavily infested field, but I think a lot of those plants were also about heading out too. So that was kind of about yeah. the point where they shouldn't really need to do anything much about aphids too. Yeah. So, and that, that's, uh, a, what's that's, the status of some of the crops around that yeah, area? That's, uh, that's an interesting one too. I get a lot of, I, I've re received several calls about that this year and it's, it's not an uncommon call to get is, you know, my wheat's heading out and I've got, you know, I've got some aphids on it. You're, you know, you're, you're spot on Anthony, the, the, threshold period for aphid uh, application is is you know boot once you get past you know once you get past boot stage the odds of actually seeing an economic return on a sprayer decrease by the time you reach heading most a lot of that yield is already set and so you know it takes incredibly high populations of aphids before you're really going to see a, a you know a hitting yield um, so I'm getting calls about saying well you know 40 percent 50 percent 60 percent of my, my field is aphids and you say, well, how many are on there? And they'll say, well, you know, there's anywhere from one to, you know, never any kind of go, yeah, that's not really gonna cost you a yield. Um, if you had said a thousand, I might say, well, that might fall over from the weight of the aphids and that'd be a loss, but you know, sorry, I don't mean to be, I, you know, I don't mean to be trite, but um, it does take a large number of aphids after heading to, to see any loss at all. And it, it's, it's, you know, the, the plant has to be pretty much covered. But for the most part, if, if you're seeing aphids earlier in the season and you're, you know, you're kind of 
pre-heading and you're seeing up to 12 to 15 aphids per tiller, then yeah, you know, it's, it probably will pay. But after heading, uh, the data shows, I mean, a lot of people don't feel very comfortable with it, but the data shows that you're, you're probably not going to see an, an economic return from that spray. Ian, you did admit, you had mentioned, uh, you know, I'm in an area where there was pretty significant aphid pressure early. Yeah. You know, a lot of those fields did, you know, kind of meet treatment threshold early yeah. on. Some of those were treated, some of them weren't, but uh, you mentioned uh, those aphids maybe moving to other crops or other places. You know, where are those aphids going and, you know, are they going to be causing any issues in other crops? Well, uh, they do in a, in a, it depends on whether or not they can colonize those other crops as far as yield damage is concerned. If you're looking at just strict yield damage, uh, the, you know, the, the three major aphids that we have, some of them will, some of them won't colonize other crops. And so you're, you're you know, uh, they will get on canola, but canola is so far along right now, it's probably not going to respond too much from, from aphid pressure. Uh, there's a number of other crops that some of these may get on, may not. They also become a problem in systems like potatoes because they vector virus diseases in seed potatoes and some of the, the seed crops. So there are potential problem there as well. But just the fact that we're going to start seeing stuff move is kind of what I was thinking is that grain's not the only crop that's going to be starting to senesce early this year. And so a lot of, we're going to see movement of, of a lot of our different pests. For example, ligus is starting to move uh, earlier than it normally does. It's kind of starts off in alfalfa and kind of charts where, where uh, kind of tracks available crops. And uh, I suspect we'll probably see ligus and things like sugar beet, um, you know, probably later this summer. So we're going to start seeing some, some of our pests that ordinarily are kind of in one crop for a little bit longer than, the, than they normally would be this year. Spruce, how about southwestern Minnesota? What are you seeing that's coming up in that neck of the woods and especially kind of with your dry conditions out there too? Is there anything specifically different you're seeing this year in the pest complexes? Well, fortunately, we're not seeing too much for spider mites yet. And I don't know if it's because we had a warm spring. Um, we got the overwintering adults, uh, females active, and then we had a couple real severe cold snaps. I don't know if that affected spider mites. I can find them, but uh, so far they're pretty low. And in, in the southern part of the, the southwest part of the state, uh, we've got some interesting conditions in that. Uh, we've got uh, adequate to uh, adequate rain to uh, severe drought stress, and, and those fields might be uh, a couple miles apart. Soybean aphids, uh, we've, we can find them. Uh, the good news is they seem to be heavily parasitized, but the, but the populations are, are, are real low. And I think part of that is we had some hot, dry weather earlier. Soybean aphids don't do very good. They like it a little bit dry, but when it gets, gets to be droughty, uh, they tend to want to leave those plants and find someplace else. Ian mentioned the, the aphids on, on cereals. Um, they will move to corn. This is the kind of the time they do that. And as that corn uh, starts hitting the reproductive stages, we can get some pretty big populations built up. Uh, a lot of that seems to be related to uh, crop stress. So uh, those, those areas of the field tend to get stock rot. Um, I think they're more of an indication of plant health poor plant health than they are uh, uh, actually yield uh, drag. Um, you know, I think what Ian, you guys talked about a little bit about making these decisions and, and you know, we look at pests like grasshoppers, uh, you know, if we've got these fields that we're, we're just letting go or uh, bailing cereals for, for forage, that sort of thing, um, those grasshopper populations aren't gonna be affected. They're gonna move to other fields. 
And the other thing that happens is, is especially with grasshoppers, we might see a little bit with spider mites in some of these areas that were infested last year, but these populations can build over time. And typically to get real bad grasshopper populations, you need a couple dry years in a row. Ian mentioned the, the fungal diseases and that's, that's one of the big drivers. So I think, I think we're gonna be, uh, we're in a holding pattern right now. And, and I think if, the, if we don't get some rain soon, things are gonna get a lot worse. One of the things that, that uh, I always uh, wonder about is if we've got moisture stress, we tend to see smaller plants, less canopies. And in the case of rootworms, we're gonna see more damage uh, from rootworm feeding. We're gonna see the same thing with soybean cyst nematode. And we've got some issues with uh, bee and leaf beetles in part in Western Minnesota. And I think that uh, first generation is something we're really gonna to have to watch, uh, especially with these dry conditions. Bruce, I know I was talking to some folks the other day that were still mentioning concerns about supply chain issues and getting products, you know, <laughs> that kind of does add a, another layer of, of decision-making, I guess, to some degree to, you know, in some cases, if you need to make sure you have, have a product around, <clears throat> anticipating an issue to show up later, any sort of words of the wise uh, in terms of that? Well, I've heard the same thing and it, and it can be really frustrating, especially when you're trying to deal with resistance issues um, and, and which products you can actually apply. I think we're going to see some issues with spider mites, uh, particularly because of, of resistance to chlorpyrifos. I wouldn't be surprised if we've got uh, resistance to bifenthrin out there in some of these fields as well. So if we have to switch from what we've normally used, which is chlorpyrifos, sometimes bifenthrin, uh, sometimes a mix to some miticides, we might have some issues getting that getting the right product in. So. And when it comes to spraying aphids or, or any other crop, it's uh, using a, uh, an alternative insecticide that may not be infected, uh, be as effective causes some other issues. So Bruce, that's kind of a good segue into one of our other topics we're thinking about for today is originally we were hoping to have official word from EPA on chlorpyrifos. We haven't heard anything yet, but that's been going through the process of the registration being looked at. There have been some uh, court cases. Now the EPA is supposed to make a decision on what to do with Corpurifos, I believe by the end of this month. So either Bruce or Ian, do you want to mention a little bit about what's going on in that process and what can we maybe expect? We can't say for sure what will happen um, in terms of the final decision yet, but there are a few routes that could go. Well, I think I think we're just going to have to wait to see how the EPA handles handles the lawsuit and I'll let Ian address maybe some more details, but basically it's gonna boil down to uh, odds are we're gonna lose chlorpyrifos. And the question is gonna be, are we gonna be able to use any of the existing stocks this year or not? So once we know that, uh, then we're gonna have to, if we, if we can't use existing stocks and we do have spider mite problems um, or even soybean aphid problems, we're gonna have to do some, some uh, adjustment in, in what we normally recommend. Yeah, I concur. It's it's a, a legal situation now, so EPA is just deciding how they're, you know, how they're allowed or how they're best allowed to handle the problem. I think it's a matter of time, obviously, that the, you know, the legal decisions have been made. It's just the implementation right now, and that's going to take time. So hopefully, we'll hear soon. Yeah, I know that's going to be a challenge, especially in terms of either integrated pest management or even uh, resistance management. You think about. Soybean aphids, for example, where the pyrethroids are pretty much on their way out due to resistance issues already. 
and then we lose chlorpyrifos. There are a few other organophosphates in that mix, but you know, that list of what we can use is getting whittled down a bit, especially in terms of the cheaper products or a few other modes of action out there too. So I guess in terms of either soybean aphid, spider mites, what do you see that's available right now, kind of in terms of our kind of total toolbox for insecticides, at least? Is there, are there any other particular um, chemicals that people should be looking at when they can't use chlorpyrifos? Um, well, the Safina and the uh, Transform and the newer products do a good job, but like you say, they're a little more expensive. They're probably your safest bet, though. Uh, it, you know, we've, we've seen, uh, like you say, pyrethroid resistance in soybeans for in soybean aphid in several different areas, and it's spreading. It's not, not probably going away anytime soon. So, yeah, I think, you know, those other products, while they're a little bit more expensive, certainly are effective. I think the thing we have to remember is one of the problems that gets us, one of the things that kind of drives us into these resistance individuals is often cheap insecticide. You know, it has a tendency to get overused. It has a tendency to be, uh, you know, added in with, you know, when you're not, when you're using it, when it doesn't really need to be used, you, there's a kind of, it's kind of a hidden impact here. And that's, there are low populations out there that still may be exposed to that insecticide. And then you start to see this, this selection for, you know, for resistance mechanisms in those populations. And then all of a sudden you get a situation that we had happened, you know, in, in the Southwest and up here, you know, across the state. But that's probably your best bet, Bruce. What do you think? Well, I think uh, I think we've, in both cases we've got some pretty good products. We've got the, some of the newer miticides, and, and there's a lot more products labeled in corn than there is for soybeans for spider mites. Uh, but spider mites, we've got things like uh, uh, zeal, for example, is a new, is a newer product, and and uh, they work fine. Uh, they work differently than, than the things, than what people are used to seeing with things like chlorpyrifos. Uh, they work on a different stage. They're more effective on immatures and eggs and, and like a chlorpyrifos is more effective on, uh, not effective on eggs at all. So the problem with it is I think you're going to have to be a little more, and Ian, you, you've worked with spider mites in Colorado, you can address this better, but you have to be a little more proactive when you're using uh, some of these specialized miticides because you can't knock back uh, knock back a, a big population as quickly as you can uh, can with uh, with some of the more broad spectrum pesticides. I think in the case of soybeans, um, you know, I think the actually the the performance of some of these newer specialized uh, products that work on sucking insects are not as harmful to the the beneficials are great. But the, but the issue there is that guys, when they spray a field, a lot of guys don't wanna see any bugs left and you're gonna have, have bugs left with these specialized insecticides. So, and it gets a little, be a little bit dicey, particularly if the things like grasshoppers are, are, uh, are on, on the plate because uh, you know, you're gonna take care of your aphid population. You might have, might have some, some other insects out there too, like grasshoppers or bean leaf beetles. So, Either you got to do a mix or, or I think my, my biggest piece of advice here with dry weather is, you know, don't make a problem if you don't have one. And a few insects out there aren't going to hurt you. Uh, don't be treating early. Things like spider mites, if you get on them too soon, you're going to get into the cycle with having to spray over and over again. Just handle the problems you got out there and then, and then hope for rain. 
Ian, what do you think about the mitocytes? Um, yeah, when I was working with, with uh, mites in Colorado, of course, it was, it was quite a while ago, but you, you know, yeah, you were spot on. The products that we had at that time were not what you would call rescue products from a, you know, from a large outbreak. And so you, it, it was kind of poor planning and looking at what the populations were doing. And a lot of it was scouting, keeping on, on top of the numbers and then bringing in at the appropriate moment. Because uh, otherwise the product, <clears throat> if you waited too long, the product wasn't going to, wasn't really going to work that well. And as you had said, if you spray too early, then you're on a, then you're on a treadmill. So yeah, a lot of it was just scouting, knowing what was in the field and, and spraying at appropriate times. I should mention too that, especially for soybeans, we do have some guides for defoliators. And if you want to go look those up, uh, you can just look for soybean defoliation and you can get a bit of an idea of how much defoliation actually occurs when you reach a threshold. So you can see a few grasshoppers on the field, a little bit of feeding damage, but that oftentimes, yeah, won't be anywhere near treatable levels. And that, it can be deceiving sometimes. You think you have heavy defoliation and really it's maybe only 10% of the plant tissue that's actually eaten away. So it's good to have those visual guides out there. Folks are out there scouting a bit. Bruce, I think you had a comment earlier just reminded me about the rain. Same thing for farm where I'm at right now, where we live. About oh, a couple of days ago, we had about an inch of rain over a few hours. Our pasture about two miles to the west had absolutely nothing. So I think a lot of folks are seeing that across the state that you know they might have at least a decent amount of rain for one day. And then just a little bit over, nothing at all. So that seems like that's a pretty common trend, at least. Jared, I don't know if you've been seeing anything for conditions, either just insects or anything in the forages, especially what's happening with uh, at least dry conditions now. Some, some alfalfa is irrigated, but then we have a lot of dry land stuff too. Kind of how are things looking over there? Yeah, finally, with a couple of these little half-tenth shots, there's been, I think, in some cases, enough accumulated to get a little bit of regrowth on some of the alfalfa out there. It's been pretty dry. I know, Bruce, and this is the other question I wanted to ask you today, was in regards to these doggone alfalfa weevils, I'm hoping this is the last time I have to think about them this year, but, uh, uh, you know, I was just out in a field uh, a day or two ago that, you know, certainly did have some some uh, additional feeding from alfalfa weevils. It's really had had some pressure there for over a month now. Uh, with some of these different uh, biotypes or, you know, uh, populations. Uh, what are you seeing? Well, I think uh, it's just been a bad year for, uh, it's been a bad year for alfalfa weevils. And uh, I'm not exactly sure why it's so strung out. Uh, it's actually more strung out than, than normal. And in Lamberton last Friday, we had anything from first instar, first instar larvae all the way up to first generation adults. And it's, I, I'm starting to wonder a little bit if, you know, in addition to, you know, the two biotypes we have in Minnesota, I'm wondering if uh, some of that uh, extreme heat didn't kind of shut the things down for a little bit, and then uh, they pick back up again. Uh, normally, those adults uh, that we're seeing that coming out now are going to just feed a little bit and then estivate for the summer, um, and, and, and the one biotype is not going to do anything at all. The other one might lay out a few eggs this fall and then come back out, uh, but, but it it's a dry year and drought and extreme heat makes very strange things happen biologically. That is for sure. Um, you know, one of the questions I have gotten is uh, in regards to scouting, you know, some of these, you know, low, you know, uh, just regrowing populations. So for instance, you know, folks cut first crop and then second crop regrowth was slow. How do you scout weevils in that 
that low regrowth. Are there any tips? Uh, you know, I heard one guy say that they'll hide underneath some stuff uh, during the heat of the day. Is that, is that the case? And I guess, do you have any tips on scouting um, for those weevils in that, in that situation? Well, it's hard to sweep when those plants are real small. Uh, the one, the one key is, is that regrowth being slowed. And a lot of times you'll see that if a wee, uh, windrow laid a little bit, uh, they'll congregate underneath there. But, but really the, the only thing you can do is look for feeding on that regrowth, look at the crowns and look at, you know, if crowns are being fed on. And really one of the, one of the, you know, more generic thresholds is if that, if that regrowth is being slowed unacceptably, that's, that's kind of a treatment threshold right there. And that happens uh, more often when it's dry. You got two factors working at the same time, lack of moisture and, and insect feeding. Yeah, I think that was the case in, in a number of fields this year. Let's hope they're done, huh? <laughs> Let's hope it rains. Yeah, Bruce, uh, following up on alfalfa too, we have potato leafhopper is our later season pest. How does that one do in the warmer, drier conditions? It seems like Obviously, later in the season when it builds up, that's normally when we have you know, August conditions, it must tolerate a little bit. But is that one you can kind of predict a little bit what might be happening in the coming months? Well, I, I can tell you what's going to happen in mid-August is, there, is they're probably going to start to decline. And actually, there's some evidence that those that potato leaf hoppers, along with a lot of migratory insects, will try to catch some of these north when these winds start uh, moving to the north, try to hit, hitch a ride back south. You know, generally it's, it's like most insects, uh, dry weather uh, favors them. For whatever reason, they're not doing real well this year. At least the fields I'm looking at, we're seeing adults, but we're not seeing a lot of nymphs, so that reproduction isn't very good. And it could be that those eggs are being desiccated or is maybe, is maybe what's happening. I don't know exact, the exact reason for it. Uh, we're not seeing many in soybeans, so it's not that they're going back and forth between alfalfa and other crops. We'll see what happens at the second and third cutting is, is a lot of times when you'll see a lot of, a lot of damage, but you know, we'll have to just wait and see what, what, uh, what progresses. And we are uh, kind of coming up on our time here, but Ian, I've got to ask, you know, I don't know if you had that weird feeling last week, but I was thinking about you. Um, last week we had our small grain field days and we were in that Becker area and of course saw the potatoes, uh, in that area, which is certainly unique to me, you know, a Western Minnesota boy. So, um, I would be curious to get kind of an update and, on the potato crop. I know there has been, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, sort of discussion. I've seen a few articles actually in some farm journal magazines. So, uh, curious if you want to give us a little bit of up, an update on the potato crop. Yeah, uh, well, down of course where you were in Becker, most of that stuff is irrigated. It looks uh, that crop down there is is coming along very rapidly. I mean, a lot faster than um, I have plots at research plots at Becker, and two things just caught me flat-footed this year. One was how fast the field came up, became established, and and the canopy closed, and the other was how rapidly the Colorado potato beetle populations got started and grew, and both of those were. Uh, surprising this year um in fact we were at a we're just kind of getting out of it now but for, for the longest time we were at a point where we were having to go down and um uh we were having to go down and spray twice every week you know man, maintain our our plots and so it was it was pretty busy uh the potatoes up here are coming along quite well as uh, you know they're, they're doing pretty well you know we're seeing some some effects of dry weather in certain areas but you know, hopefully they're still looking pretty good. They're not as far along as, uh, you know, they, they 
would have been in a couple of other years, but at least my, my uh, plot seemed to be a little bit behind. The insect populations seem to be a little slower this year as well. Um, I think that's because we had, we saw the same thing last year when we had a very warm early spring and then we had a cold period. I think what that does is, is especially with the beetles, I think it might reset the, you know, the accumulation of degree days for emergence for those overwintering adult beetles. And so it slows them down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, the potato crops that I've seen so far look pretty good uh, up here and they look fantastic down there. So I think we might see, because of the heat, we're not gonna get as, uh, the yield that we ordinarily would. We might see a little bit of smaller potatoes and maybe, maybe a little bit decreased yield, but they're not, they're not a tremendously great, well, the varieties we grow are not tremendously great desert crops, so. Yeah, that's always a, an interesting area to visit uh, in that back, mm -hmm. that Anoka Sand Plain area. Um, and interestingly, there's getting to be a lot more hybrid rye production in that area, which is uh, one of the reasons why we've got those plots there. And it sounds yeah. like the rye is becoming a more common rotational crop uh, with, with potato production too. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with that. I, I would agree, Jared. I see an awful lot more rye down there, you know, in the last couple of years than I have previously. <clears throat> and this year, it also um, matured really rapidly. I mean, it was... I remember we were planting, um, well, I don't know, first week of June, I guess. And um, it, you know, it was already, it was already starting to tag. <laughs> that was the, this is going to be an early year. <laughs> so yeah, things are, are, you know, if you're in those areas, especially the irrigated areas with the heat that we're getting, stuff is just popping. It really is moving along very, very rapidly. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Actually with Colorado potato beetle down there, the populations are so early uh, I'm expecting summer adults probably this weekend in my plots. And that's probably the earliest I think I've ever had them. So stuff's moving. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Anthony, I don't know. Is there any other follow-up questions you have for anybody before we wrap up today's program? Oh, I just have um, one last note I'll mention uh, with that chlorpyrifos decision is when we do hear from EPA and MDA, Bob Cook, our soybean entomologist, is writing up some guidance on uh, what that can mean and what you can make or what decisions you can make based on whatever scenario might come up. So we will have more information on the Minnesota Crop News blog coming up, hopefully maybe the end of the week or next week, whenever that decision comes down. And Jared, I think with that, I could turn it back over to you. I guess uh, Bruce and Ian, if there's any other concluding uh, comments you want to make, uh, now's your chance. Well, I think the only good thing about a drought and hot weather is, uh, you know, it's going to be harmful or hard on some insects. Uh, looks like uh, things like armyworm, you know, are going to have a struggle a little bit, especially in these droughty areas. This is this is the kind of weather they leave Texas for in for, for in the spring. And uh, the other the other thing, I just uh, got a, a text in. I got to follow up on it, but it looks like we were actually caught a few uh, western bean cutworms in our uh, uh, light trap this morning, which is. They've been very rare the last couple of years, so that might throw a new wrinkle on uh, on some corn management in a little bit, but we'll keep you posted. Yeah, as, as, uh, as Bruce said, those larger soft-bodied insects don't like it hot and dry very much. So, um, I, you know, I, I guess it's a no wind that blows no one good, so there must be a little bit of silver lining there. Got to stay positive somehow, right, when it never yeah. rains? Yeah. <laughs> So, well, with that, Ian, Bruce, uh, I want to thank you guys for being on the program today. Uh, everyone that came uh, and attended the live program, thanks for attending. 
Uh, if you did miss, uh, or if you did miss, of course, you'll be listening to the podcast uh, later. And if you can't join us next week, uh, same place, same time, 7.30, we'll uh, have another session of the Strategic Farming Field Notes Program from the University of Minnesota Extension. So with that, thank you. Thank you.